0: Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good afternoon, Amago. Uh, here we are in a weekend where we have a holiday, um, but it also is a time where we Uh, remember those who have uh, helped us have the freedom we're in as far as Memorial Day. And we are looking at a passage today uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, verses 7-11 through and it starts out the end is near. You can tell it's going to be a real encouraging passage. Uh, Somehow Memorial Day is not a happy day for people who immediately lose somebody, you know, how, how do they celebrate? How do they take a day off and call it holiday? How do they go to the beach for three days? You know, and yet Memorial Day, in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, is a time where we honor. And even when Peter says, "Hey, the end is uh, of all things is soon," he's saying, "I don't want you to be afraid." This wasn't a paranoia statement. This is a celebration statement that he invites us into. So I'd like to pray that we could kind of get into where uh, Peter was inviting us to, to traffic in these verses. Heavenly Father, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and make them pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at something that says the end of all things is soon, or or basically, as he says, at the end, yeah, the end of all things is near. Um, If you are older, you kind of go, well, the good news is that I'm just about through with my work uh, career. The bad news is that America's just about through with Social Security, so You know, that's not going to work great. Uh, Others of you may be younger and say, the end of all things means you're talking about a zombie apocalypse. Okay? And somewhere in between there, uh, Peter is actually saying that the world as we know it is coming to an end because Jesus is coming back. And he talks about that in chapter 1, so he's already kind of telegraphed his punch here. And he's talking about all kinds of suffering, all kinds of hardships that are coming. And so when he says the end of all things is near, I would guess that the average person hearing this or reading this that that Peter had in his mind of writing it was somebody saying, I'm almost through being persecuted. I'm almost through suffering. I'm almost through, and then whatever it is, of not being able to be employed because I'm a Christian, of having to hide because I'm a Christian, of being ostracized from the rest of my family because of that. Whatever the the particular nuance of the hardship that each Christ follower was experiencing that Peter was writing to, I mean, that's probably what they heard. And the interesting thing is that when we hear something like, the end of all things is near, uh, we have a tendency to put into that category everything we want to stop and very few of the things that we actually like. So we would like disease to stop. We would like pain to stop. Okay? I would like desserts with calories. I'd like the calories to stop and keep the desserts. You know, I just kind of like whatever I like to stay and whatever is a problem, I want it to go away and that would be my definition of heaven. Okay? What Peter is saying is, guess what? If everything's going to come to an end, here's what I'd like you to do. And the things he says I'd like you to do are pretty simple. He says, I'd like you to pray, and I'd like you to love each other, and I'd like you to serve. Now, if you're like me and you read that, you kind of go, well, I'm doing that now. And that's kind of what Peter's point is, is that there's more continuity between the life you're living now and the life you'll live after you die than there is discontinuity between those two. The interesting thing is that most of us think that we accepted Christ, if you have done that, uh, you've accepted Christ for the afterlife. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life. He was talking about an eternal life, and eternal life starts with relationship with Jesus, not death. We don't somehow turn the switch on when we check out of here. We turn the switch on when we check on with him. And so what Peter's talking about is an eternal life that has continuity with a grave just being kind of like a mile marker, but not something that makes it all brand new. The all brand new was what uh, the Bible calls new birth. All things are new when we're in Christ. That's when it becomes new. So when Peter says pray, he's talking about the thing that would be consistent is that you'll communicate with God. So communicate with God now, and in the afterlife, you're going to be communicating with God. Love, because you're going to love God and love others now and in the next life. You are at a place where you're going to serve. You know, I mean, a lot of us think that somehow heaven's going to be a place where we don't work. But the only thing that happened with the curse was fruitless work. Not work. The idea that you could work and get no return for it, that was the curse. That was the bent part of it. Work was not a curse. Work was an expression. Work was a way to be able to honor, to be able to uh, join in in a purpose. When when Adam was in the garden, he was cultivating the garden or naming the animals, he was cooperating with the creator in creation. And so that, that's going to have a continuity to it after we die. And it's a really interesting invitation to start with the end of all things is soon. So, and then his first thing is pray. And he goes, So be sober, sober minded, and uh, then he, he also uh, uses the word alert, and you will pray. Okay, if you are thinking about Peter's life, sober mindedness and alertness aren't really in his wheelhouse. Okay? He's kind of an impulsive, mistake-oriented disciple. That's why I think most of us identify with him. At least I do. And, you know, I kind of like the idea that he sees Jesus on the water and jumps out of the boat and then goes, what the heck am I doing? And starts sinking, you know? I like the idea that he just kind of goes, ready, fire, aim. And so as we kind of look at this idea of, of Peter at one place, it's in Jesus all things are coming to an end soon. The first advent When Jesus came to earth, and in the last 24 hours of his life, the one thing he does to kind of pull himself together is he prays in a garden. And he asks three of his disciples to come with him and pray, and one of them is Peter. So the three of them get together, and he goes, I'd like you to, and he uses a word, I'd like you to be on watch, which I'd like you to be alert and pray with me. And he goes over, and he starts praying, and he gets into his prayer for about an hour and comes back, and the disciples are asleep. He goes, could you really not do this for one, one hour? Could you, could you really not? And he's trying to, you know, Peter, focus here. I'm going to die. Could you pray with me? And he goes away, and he prays again, and comes back, and Peter's asleep. And he goes away for a third hour and comes back, and finally he just says, Whatever takes his disciples with him, and the first thing Peter does, thinking that he's going to stop this uh, great evil from coming on Jesus, is when a Roman soldier, who's basically been trained to stand his ground as as soldiers would come. He didn't have to attack everything, but he knew how to hold his ground. So as a soldier is, is standing right in front of Peter, uh, and actually the word there's actually two different words that gets translated sword in the New Testament one is like a military sword and the, actually, the other one is like a knife and, and the one that's used what, what, the weapon that Peter pulled out was a knife he's a fisherman so it's probably some kind of fisherman's knife, he pulls that out and lops off a guy's ear okay, all that's really going to do is incite trouble, it's not like a defensive move like all the soldiers are going oh my gosh stand back he's got a fishing knife, you know In the midst of that, here's Peter acting with no alertness, clueless to the situation. But what he says to us is, the end of all things is soon. So be alert and and pray. So this alertness prayer has everything to do with us kind of listening and trying to discern where God is working. I was at a conference up in British Columbia uh, several years ago. It was a conference for youth workers, and and at the end of it, uh, I was one of the people that was praying with people that would come up front, and this one guy comes up front, and he goes, I want you to pray for me. I go, okay, what do you want me to pray for? He goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not telling you. You pray, and if you pray what I came up here for, I'll know it's of God. Man, did I feel pressure. I'm going like, I've got to get this right, you know. Uh, He's going to find out that I'm just kind of like shooting stuff up here. And whatever he said, yeah, I would do that, you know. Uh, Rather than this idea that I'm supposed to listen to God for what to pray for. That's, That's what Peter's saying here is that why would you think that, you know, the prayer that was worthy of Christ getting this whole thing going is the, God, please help me find a parking place. I mean, when I ask that prayer, when I drive downtown, I go, God, please help me find a parking place. And one opens up, I go, ha, did I get lucky? I don't even connect it to the prayer, you know, but I'm connecting it to the prayer every time I don't find one. Are you kidding me, God? And uh, somehow my prayer life is way more focused on me than me listening to God for what alertness in light of a clock that's ticking and that we have less tomorrows today than we did yesterday, that we did when you were born. There's a clock ticking, and Peter's saying, in light of a ticking clock, we ought to become people of prayer. And not just prayer for stuff, but prayer for direction, prayer of alertness, so that we're hearing and and discerning and being able to know how to pray for others, how to pray with others, what, what it is that God would have us pray for. Those same words are used by Peter two different times in the same letter. In chapter 1, which we've already covered, in verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ has revealed it is coming. And so there's this idea of in the midst of your struggle, your alert prayers, setting them on the hope of Christ's return, is actually a borrow of that joy in the midst of a joyless circumstance. And then chapter 5, which we're uh, on our way to looking at, he says in verse 8, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so an alert prayer life looks like someone who's able to discern when there's an opposition to your soul that's at play as well. So Peter invites us, in light of a ticking clock, be people of prayer. And then he says, in light of a ticking clock, be people of love. And and the way he describes it there in verse 8, is above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. On that night when Peter was not alert in the prayer, not only did he try to attack a Roman soldier with a pocket knife, he also um, found himself at three different places where he was being questioned about, "Aren't you one of those disciples? Your language has that same Galilean accent as Jesus. I bet you're one of the disciples, and three different times he denies it. I'm, I'm not. I don't know him even calls down a curse from heaven on a 12-year-old girl, approximately, who's just a servant girl out of fire. says, I know you're one of them. He says, I'm not. So in, in the midst of, he's got to have this accumulative, I am a real loser as far as it goes to being a Christ follower. I can't stay awake and pray. I can't even stand up when somebody asks me if I'm a follower. I cave I mean, that's kind of his weakness, his um, peer pressure. Whenever he feels like he's going to be accepted a different way, he moves towards acceptance rather than can kind of stay sterling. And so as he's at this place of, of folding, I'm sure that's weighing on him day by day, telling him that he's worth less as he rehearses it time after time. To the place where Jesus encounters Peter he says, do you love me? He goes, yeah, I love you. And Jesus said, do you love me? And he goes, yes, I love you. He goes, do you love me? He goes, Lord, you know I love you. And what Jesus is doing is letting him not just have this, this mind experience that says, God forgives me. Because it's my experience that most every Christian can can kind of log it up here in a filing cabinet that says, I believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross somehow has an effect on me being acceptable and me being forgiven. But it never travels any further than our head. And somehow there has to be a practice that goes along with the preset so that it becomes a whole gospel to a whole person. And so Jesus, in inviting those three do you love me's, pairs them with the three denials so that Peter gets, instead of having a history of I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, gets a new history of I love you, I love you, I love you. And he sets him on a course of thought and behavior. And, And what Peter is saying here is that Jesus covered my sin. He could have looked at me and said, I don't know you either and instead he invited him back you know and so when we look at this idea of love covers a multitude of sins it's not the sins that we cover because of fear that they'll get let out or known it's not the fear it's not the sins that we cover by shame i hope no one ever finds that out but it's a deliberate act of love More like 1 John 1.9, where John describes the the work that God does with us when he says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sin. There's a one-to-one correspondence. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness, there's the one-to-multitude correspondence. Where Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. So the the picture that, that Peter is saying here is that Not only are we prayers for one another, but we actually are able to have shock absorbers for the things that one another does, that rather than promote them or disclose them or even just join a gossip train, we we kill gossip. We kill slander, that we don't let it have any traction in our conversations or, or in our congregation, that that that's what it looks like to be a people that know there's a clock ticking and we don't have time for gossip, we don't have time for this, because we're spending our time on love. So we're people of prayer, we're people who um, love, and that love goes beyond just uh, not bringing out everybody's offense. That love goes on to say, let's show hospitality to each other. And the interesting thing is that he has this show hospitality without grumbling. Okay, I'm in day three of three grandchildren at my house this weekend. And I'm starting to become a grumbly grandpa. You know, um, uh, I'm starting to go, hey, 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 wait, 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 can, you, can one of you take him, you know, and uh, just kind of like, a soaking wet one jumps on my lap and goes, Hug me. Going, okay, uh, could we redo this? I'm, I'll get in line for hug, you get in line for dry off, you know? Uh, it's just, I don't want my kids leaving this weekend, my grandkids leaving this weekend going, Boy, Grandpa's got great stuff. I want them leaving, Grandpa loves me. We don't even see him that much, but every time we swoop in, he swoops in and loves us. How cool is that? That, that's what I want them to experience. And that's what God wants people to experience through us being hospitable. So that they can swoop in and rather than us somehow having this passive aggressive, yeah, welcome, wow, I can't believe all you're eating. You know, that you would uh, kind of be at this place of, of hospitality without grumbling. That, that it isn't kind of uh, crazy making, it's peacemaking that you have a place where somebody can find that oasis. And so so that becomes part of what Peter invites us to, is that that we would be people who um, are are listening in our prayers and discerning what God would have for us, not simply bringing him our agenda, but alert, and that, that God would actually direct us Give us thoughts, direct us to people, concerns about others, things to pray for that that he's involved with and he's just involved us with them. And and a love that that promotes the good of someone and throttles back the gossip that would defame someone and that we would go out of our way to be hospitable because if it were not out of our way, we wouldn't complain, right? Right? Complaining usually happens when it starts to crimp our comfort zone. So when he says love each other deeply, the picture is somebody of reaching beyond their reach, just doing everything to do that reach. And so part of that is be hospitable without complaining to the point that it would be your natural default to complain. But then ask for a love that would replace your natural default so he moves from prayer to love to serving and he talks about basically two different delivery systems for serving those who speak and those who serve in some ways it's those word and those who have deed and it's not like you just pick one or the other but it is like he's saying let you serve according to your and the word there's gift But it's an unfortunate word because we have a tendency to think, I have a gift, and we name it. And we think that's the only place we have to serve. Where the closest word really to what we would translate something that that says gift, the, the word really should just simply be translated grace. So let a person serve according to the grace God gave them. If it's speaking, speak. If it's serving, serve. And if you're going to speak, speak as though you are speaking the very words of God, is what Peter says there. And if it's serving, serve with the strength that God provides. When you look at those two different things, it's not like when Peter was writing that, he thought of a guy up front speaking to an audience. This this would not have been a first century type church. First century type churches look way more like a home community. And so the one another's start to come into play. Rather than just one on 200, one on 1,000, one on whatever uh, ratios we have um, when somebody's speaking here. Let me just read a couple of, or a few one another's from Scripture. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Confess your sins one to another. Instruct one another. Spur one another to love and good deeds those are speaking gifts. One another, encouraging one another so that when you see somebody who's discouraged and you feel after listening prayer that this is a conversation to be had, that you speak encouragement as though you are speaking the very words of God to them. That when somebody is kind of, faultless or I mean clueless and just has no direction on a particular way to go and they talk to you about it that you're in the midst of that saying God I want your words to be able to say to them and and maybe it is in that conversation that that God speaks some wisdom into their life through you and that you would use the grace that God has given you to speak words as though they're the very words of God. For others, it is going to be uh, on some of the serving planes like welcome one another, bear one another's burdens, um, rejoice with each other, serve one another. That, That those start to feel like rather than the idea of I'm just helping somebody move or I'm just doing this or just doing that, you realize if I can do this in the strength of the Lord, God's going to use my efforts to let that person know. That it's okay that everything that we know is coming to an end. Because there's continuity with love. There's continuity with service. There's continuity with knowing Jesus. Which would be the the prayer uh, communication that we would have. So we come to this place where when we're doing God's work by speaking, or whether we're doing God's work by deed, Peter says, do it all for the glory of God which is kind of an amazing thing because that's what the end is. (laughs) The end is when the glory of God is revealed, okay? And so he's saying, why would you live in this direction hoping for this thing to come? Why wouldn't you live in this direction so when this thing comes, you're able to rejoice that your life fit with what came? That's the invitation. Live for the glory of God because the glory of God is gonna come in, in a big way. So let's not live disjointed but let's live with continuity and and somehow not think that the awesome piece is the afterlife but that he's already given us the awesome piece it's eternal life. So um, there's a well-known book or a New York Times bestseller book from last year uh, called The Road to Character. And in that book... um, He talks a little bit about what you heard Mike talk about today. Where When Mike said, um, I don't want a tombstone that says a lot of good intentions but too busy. This guy says, I've I've been thinking a lot about um, resume thinking versus eulogy thinking. And then he goes on to talk about, uh, he quotes a rabbi. He said, well in Genesis there's actually an Adam 1 and an Adam 2. And Paul refines that in Romans and talks about Jesus being a second Adam. But I want you to hear um, how it gets contrasted, Adam 1 and Adam 2. This is a New York Times bestseller. It's not a religious book. It's not a Christian book of any kind. Uh, But I want you to hear it because I think that Adam 2 is a lot like what Peter is saying. Here's what living in a it's almost over feels like with things coming to an end feels like. So he says, well, Adam 1 wants to conquer the world. Adam 2 wants to obey a calling to serve the world. Adam 1 is creative and savors his own accomplishments. Adam 2 sometimes renounces worldly success and status for the sake of some sacred purpose. While Adam 1 asks how things work, Adam 2 asks why things exist and what ultimately we are here for. While Adam 1 wants to venture forth, Adam 2 wants to return to his roots and savor the warmth of a family meal. While Adam 1's motto is success, Adam 2 experiences life as a moral drama. His motto is charity, love, and redemption that's what Peter's calling us to in a world that is passing you're already members of the world that's coming (laughs) in a world that is um, competitive you've already been given a crown in a world that is saying you are what you do Peter's saying do what you are you are children of God. You do are people of hope. You are people that when the new heaven and the new earth come, we fit. So live in that direction. That's what we do even when a clock is ticking. So I'd like to pray that that would be our experience. For some of you, you may have just heard what I said and you may realize you accepted Jesus Christ at some time in your life to go to heaven. Can you see how you're missing half the story? Because it's not the afterlife, it's eternal life, and it starts right now. So I want to encourage you, if you've got anything that's that's keeping you from living eternal life, that you just check it and receive the grace and say, I want to live according to the grace you've given me to serve, to love, to pray. And if you uh, want someone to talk with you or pray with you uh, or answer more questions about that, just come to one of the doors and the people at the doors would be happy to be able to walk and talk with you through your questions. So let me pray. Father, as we come to this table today, we are so grateful that you made it possible and that in sending your son, you said, I love you and that Jesus, you make it possible by going to a cross and saying, I love you. And Spirit, you make us alive so that we can say, we love you. So God, all three, we're grateful that we get a a space here that's full of grace, that we might be gracious as things fade and new things come. Let us be people that reflect the coming. In Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.